Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Missionary District podcast. I am Deacon Amos, and I'm here with Jordan Duncan. Hello, everybody. And today, the main thing we're going to be talking about is the sign of the cross. So some Christians make the sign of the cross over themselves at different parts of the liturgy or before receiving communion. And so what are they doing and why are they doing it and when are they doing it and can I do it too? Uh, I think these are all questions that people probably have. And so we're going to try to give a couple of answers for that. Does that sound all right, Jordan? Yeah, that sounds great. I think I have some of those questions for you. Great. Before we hit that, uh, some people have been wondering what the deal is with the name of this podcast. I know I sure have. (laughs) Uh, This is probably something I should have explained in the first episode, but I'm not very good at this. Uh, So here we are. Uh, Missionary District is the ecclesial designation of Via Apostolica, which is the small group of churches that we belong to. Can I ask you what an ecclesial designation is? Sure you can. Uh, just what we're called, really. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. <laughs> the, nor- the normal ecclesial designation would be a diocese. Got it. And so we're, we're just not big enough to be our own diocese. And so when we joined the ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America, they categorized us as a missionary district. And so that's sort of a temporary designation. At some point, we will either join another diocese or become our own diocese or something like that. Uh, But it is what we're called uh, at this stage of our journey. And I just thought that that was probably a fitting name for a podcast that kind of sits in between the church and the wider culture. So in the secularism series that uh, we're doing, for example, We're talking a lot about what society believes and how that has affected us in the church. And then Jordan and I are talking through questions that tend to come up in the context of the church, uh, but particularly for new people. And so we're kind of crossing back and forth across both worlds, across church and culture. And uh, the name is broad enough that we can really talk about anything or at least anything that I find interesting. And so that's where the name came from and the rationale for using it in this context. Okay, so let's move on to the sign of the cross. And uh, I thought we'd first just start with the mechanics of it and talk about how we actually make the sign of the cross. There's a lot of variation in how people do this, and uh, I think that's fine. I'll just explain how I do it and maybe try to mention a few alternatives uh, along the way. So... You use your right hand and you put your thumb, forefinger, and index finger together, and that uh, represents the Holy Trinity. And then the other two fingers, your, your pinky and ring fingers, are extended down onto your palm. And that represents the two natures of Jesus, his human nature and his divine nature. Uh, and also, in some ways, represents the fact that he came down from heaven to die on the cross for our salvation. And so that's the way that I like to to do it. Some people keep their hand more open, uh, perhaps uh, in imitation of the open palms of Christ on the cross or something like that. Uh, And then you just touch your forehead and your chest somewhere around your heart, uh, your left shoulder and your right shoulder in that order. And uh, a few variations on that would be uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they will go right to left across their shoulders. Do you know why that is? Why they do it backwards? 
I'm not 100% sure why. I think it's something about starting from the place of strength. So the right being the place of strength and going out into the world or something like that. Uh, whereas going from uh, left to right is, I think, supposed to in some ways symbolize uh, the left is the weaker and um, represents in some ways the descent into hell. And then the right is being ascended again to the right hand of the father. So again, uh, the right representing that place of strength, whichever way you're going. So that's all a lot to think about. Like that's way more than I had understood when it was explained to me. I, I got the three fingers thing. Mm -hmm. And I think only because I've seen in Christian art that a lot of icons or saints or pictures of Jesus will have his three fingers or whoever's in the picture, the three fingers out because of the Trinity. So I got that far in the understanding, yeah, but yeah. that's about as far as I knew. What would you say is the minimum you should be thinking about? Yeah, that's a good question. Personally, I think, I mean, I find the position of my hand somewhat meaningful. Uh, I would say don't be distracted by that. And if, if you are being distracted by that, don't think about it at all. Because really, it's making the sign of the cross that's the most important part of this. Right. And in some ways, I feel like um, you hear a lot of these really intricate, involved explanations. And in some ways, I think they're like post hoc, like after the fact explanations. Like we're already doing the thing. We're already crossing ourselves. And then we think about how can I make this more meaningful? How can I represent right. the gospel uh, more deeply or more meaningfully as I do this thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I thought when I read through your notes, I went, oh, I've been doing this with my three fingers. So I'm glad I've got that far. But then actually this morning at communion, I noticed that when I crossed myself, I did the open palm thing. And I was like, wait, do I do three fingers or do I do the open <laughs> palm? I don't even know what I do myself. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I don't think it's something you need to think about all that much. So what are some of the other variations that people do? Uh, yeah, some people, I think, will make uh, a larger cross. So they'll go, instead of just stopping at their chest uh, when they come down, they'll go like right down to their stomach. And then uh, some people will also return to their heart at the end. And so, you know, they'll, they'll do the four points and then they'll maybe lay their hand over their heart for a few seconds. That's what I do. And it's for no reason other than everyone I saw doing it when I started crossing myself did it that way. And I just thought that's, I guess, how we do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very Anglican way actually to do it. Well, maybe that's why yeah. I, guess. <laughs> I was in an Anglican seminary. <laughs> <laughs> and learning by imitation is good too, actually. So at what point in the service do we make the sign of the cross or when at other times would we make the sign of the cross? Yeah, I think uh, basically as a general rule, whenever we are invoking the name of the Holy Trinity, it's appropriate to make the sign of the cross. So um, it can actually even be a prayer in and of itself. Uh, just a short prayer that accompanies that action. Uh, you can just say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as you do it. And often that's the last line of another prayer, but it can also be a prayer that's all on its own. And uh, I'll often begin my own prayer times with that prayer. 
sometimes people will end a sermon uh, with that prayer, and uh, I think it's appropriate in you know in a public context, say at the end of a sermon, if somebody's saying uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's okay for everybody uh, to cross themselves at that point, uh, not just the person that that's speaking. So I've had to think about that a little bit because when I think about the line in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, to call that a prayer seems strange to me. Because I'm like, we're just saying the names of the Trinity. How is that a prayer? Because immediately I'm thinking, are we asking for something? Like the Lord's Prayer, there's petitions in there. Right. So then I'm like, this isn't a petitionary prayer. We're not asking for anything. But then I guess it dawned on me saying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is a prayer. It's not just the way I begin prayer or end prayer or end a sermon or end a scripture reading or a psalm reading. That that just that line is prayer, I think was a new thought for me. But I realized that, well, of course it can be prayer because not all prayer is just asking God for things. Right. That is a legitimate form of prayer. That's the whole Lord's Prayer. But there's this other side to prayer where we, I guess, practice the presence of God or spend time with God. And even the idea that I got in my charismatic study where we pray, come Holy Spirit, like that sort of prayer I guess. I mean, that's a petition. We're asking the Holy Spirit to come, but we're asking for God's presence to be with us. Right. And so I think for me, trying to figure out how is the line in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit a prayer, I think it's the same sort of prayer. We're asking God's presence to be with us. We are practicing his presence in that way. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And in some ways, a prayer of binding ourselves to him. You know, as we make the sign of the cross, we're saying that we want to be united to the cross and find ourselves in Christ. Or at the end of a sermon, say, really, it's an offering, the sermon that we just preached, offering it up to the Lord and praying that it would be found in him and uh, reveal his truth and his gospel. Right. I guess doing all things in, in Jesus' name, this is kind of a way to do that. Right. Um, Praying in Jesus' name, acting in Jesus' name, even asking for the Holy Spirit uh, to come on us. It makes sense that we would use this phrase in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because when did I first receive the Holy Spirit? At my baptism. Right. And what was I baptized into? The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I don't know. that I kind of connected all those dots when... I was listening to you. Yeah, that's great. Um, so there's a couple other points, probably. Um, if you're doing the daily office, you'll end, uh, when you're doing your psalm readings, you'll you'll end those with uh, the Gloria, the Gloria Patri, or the Glory Be, uh, which is another appropriate time uh, to make the sign of the cross uh, in your own prayer and devotional life. Uh, And then in services, we usually begin our services with a Trinitarian acclamation or a call to worship, and then we end them with a benediction that's generally Trinitarian as well. So those are both good times to make the sign of the cross. Those are all examples of uh, invoking the name of the Trinity. And so 
Uh, I think that should become fairly intuitive for people. Whenever you hear in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's, that's an appropriate time to do the sign of the cross. There are a couple of other points in a typical service when you might want to make the sign of the cross as well. And of course, none of this is obligatory, uh, but just if, if it's something that you want to do. Uh, during the prayer of consecration, so the priest will offer the gifts up to God, and then he will often bow at that point uh, as a way to honor the presence of the Lord at the altar. And then uh, he'll stand up and say, sanctify us also, that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament. And you'll see many people cross themselves at that point, uh, really as a way of participating in the liturgy, essentially as a way to show our agreement with that prayer. We want to be sanctified. We want to be united to Christ. We want to find ourselves in him. We might also make the sign of the cross when we are reciting the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, uh, when we get to the end, uh, and specifically when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And again, it's just a way of saying that we want to be united to Christ. And you might also make the sign of the cross before you receive communion, uh, or even before and after you receive communion, depending on uh, what you want to do, your preferences. Uh, if it's something that's really solemn for you, um, I find even just times of, of quiet reflection are good times to make the sign of the cross over myself. And then one other place that you might make the sign of the cross is at the reading of the gospel. Uh, but this one's a little bit different. This time you would hold your thumb and forefinger together in the shape of a cross and then just trace a small cross on your forehead, on your lips, and over your heart. And this is a way of saying, may the word of the Lord be on my mind, be on my lips, and be in my heart. And again, it's a way to honor the gospel and the central place of the cross in the gospel message. So just to summarize those, you could do it whenever you want when you're praying on your own, but maybe at the beginning and the end of your prayer. Sure, yeah. Or if you're praying the daily office, um, there's the, the Gloria after the, the psalm reading, and that would be a time you'd make it also because, I mean, you'll notice it because it mentions the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Gloria. But then in a church service, usually at the beginning and end of service, so the beginning acclamation and the end of benediction, and then during communion, when the priest says, sanctify us also. And then if we are reading the creed, when it says resurrection of the body, and then if you want, when you're receiving communion at some point there. I think that's a good summary. I think there's, uh, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, just of a few reasons that we might want to make the sign of the cross. And uh, so the first reason is because I think in a way it's sacramental. So a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. That's the definition that's given to us uh, in the ACNA Catechism to be a Christian. And there are some things that are formal sacraments of the church, so baptism and Eucharists, but we can see those same principles at play in many different areas, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, a a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. I think that for myself, being a charismatic, I have often thought that when spiritual things are happening, things in the spiritual realm, 
it makes sense to me that there would be a physical manifestation of that, that I could see the spiritual realm affecting the physical reality. Right. I think that's at least like I grew up charismatic and that's just always made sense to me. What seems weird to me and it shouldn't, I don't think, but what seems weird to me is that I would think of the physical reality being able to affect the spiritual realm that it would work backwards like that. Right. I could see that. That, that to me has always just seemed like, well, no, that's magic. You can't affect the spiritual realm with your physical uh, actions, but that can't be true. And I think maybe that's probably where a lot of your secularism side of this podcast will go and help explain why we naturally think that or why I naturally think that, why I would think that to be absurd or magic when maybe it's actually just the way that the universe is set up. If there is a spiritual realm, which I do believe and which Christians do believe, and as a charismatic, of course I believe that the spiritual realm could influence and affect the physical realm, but it wasn't until I became an Anglican that I started thinking that maybe also some of the physical realm affects the spiritual realm. Well, it wasn't just because I became an Anglican, actually. It was because I started studying Genesis 1 and 2 <laughs> and seeing that heaven and earth were meant to be the same place. Right. And that when Jesus says the kingdom is here, when, when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of heaven and teaches us to pray, may things be on earth as they are in heaven, mm-hmm. he wants, his mission is to bring the spiritual reality back into alignment with the physical reality right? or bring heaven and earth together again. Yeah. And then in, in revelation, when the, the new Jerusalem descends from heaven to earth and, yeah. and the two are one again. Yeah. Yeah. And even just as I'm saying it now, cause I'm trying to think of biblical examples of where physical realm would influence the spiritual realm but I'm wondering if actually a lot of Jesus's healing miracles are that, that he would heal to, he would heal something physical first as a, a sign of the spiritual reality going on, that the kingdom is breaking in and that the, the healing or the miracle that he's doing is just a sign of the spiritual thing or, or a bringing into effect of the spiritual thing. Right. Do you think that's possible or true? Yeah, I think so. I think that's more along the lines of uh, what you were saying at first, though, where the, the spiritual reality affects the physical reality. Right. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So I'm trying to think of... What about the handkerchiefs in Acts or Paul's shadow, Peter's shadow? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I guess the the best example would be a sacramental view of communion. Right. That, I mean, so that is what Anglicans believe is happening in communion. That when we take the physical bread and wine. We're receiving. Yeah, we are really Christ truly himself, yeah. spiritually receiving Jesus himself. And baptism as well. I mean, all sacraments, for sure. Right, all sacraments. So this is just another way of participating in the sacramental reality 
Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, when I think about making the sign of the cross, it seems to me to be expressing physically what I know to be true spiritually and maybe in some way actually bringing it about. Or at least actually participating in it. Yeah, I think making the sign of the cross in some ways makes our union with Christ visible and um, is a way of participating in that union. I think you're right. And and it's a prayer of consecration. It, it, it actually does in some way set us apart, right? It's a prayer for God to bless us and to change us and to unite us to Christ. And so, yeah, it's it's very participatory. Can I give maybe an analogy that might help? Sure. I kind of just thought of it. But a hug, a hug is not just a sign that I love you or appreciate you or not just a sign that I care about you. Right. It's not just like a note that says, here's a fact, I care about you. (laughs) A hug is, a hug is that, but a hug is also the actual expression of my care for you. Yes. And it, it makes real my care for you. So you won't, I could tell you I care for you, but a hug will actually make you feel cared for in a deeper way. Like it's a physical participation in my care for you. Right. Is that somewhat of an analogy to what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think probably everybody's aware that a hug is not just a physical thing. Right. Maybe it has a spiritual dimension. Maybe it doesn't. But it certainly has an emotional dimension, an an invisible dimension. Yeah. Where, you know, something as simple as touch does communicate uh, something on a much deeper level. Right. So then, whereas a hug is both a physical and emotional thing, something like a sacrament or the sign of the cross in this case is both a physical and spiritual thing. It's not just a physical sign. Right. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't want to put too much weight on it because it's not a sacrament, uh, but it is sacramental. It it does share those same characteristics. Yeah. Um, When we, when we think about the, the sacramental nature of our faith, um, like, like we're saying, the tangible stuff of the world, the things in the world are important. And that means our bodies are important and the things that we do with our bodies really actually matter. And so when we make the sign of the cross, it's, it's a prayer that we pray not primarily with our words, but with our bodies. And I think in some ways it's maybe similar to fasting in that regard. Fasting is like a prayer that you pray with your whole body and, Sometimes when I'm in prayer, I find some resistance in me where I just don't really want to pray right now. Or at other times I want to pray, but I don't have any words to pray. And I think prayers like this one that that are by nature participatory are extremely helpful in those moments. Um, we, we can just take the posture of prayer. We can kneel before the Lord. We can make the sign of the cross. And I think that has a real effect on on drawing you into the reality that's being expressed. Can I interject with a quote from C.S. Lewis? Sure. So he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Have you read it? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's a an imaginative story uh, or series of letters from a senior demon 
to a junior demon, giving this junior demon advice on how to draw astray a Christian, basically. So everything that he writes is obviously bad advice for us as Christians or <laughs> against the grain. So it's not typical C.S. Lewis. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so here's from the fourth screw tape letter. He's telling, he's talking to this junior demon about the person he's assigned to who started praying. And he tells them to try and, he tells the demon to try and get the guy not to use his body in prayer. And he says this, at very least, they, meaning humans, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they, humans, are animals, and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. I thought that was pretty helpful in this case. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the first reason that we've been talking about um, why you might want to make the sign of the cross is um, in some way it's sacramental, it's participatory. It helps us engage uh, in in the substance of our faith. Uh, The second reason, I think, and uh, it's related, is that it's, it's really accessible. It's accessible for people who are just learning about the gospel. And so we might even say that it's evangelistic in this regard. You know, you, you don't have to be a Christian to make the sign of the cross, but it's an easy thing to learn and to start to pray when you're first encountering Jesus Christ and trying to figure out what this community of believers is all about. And in addition to being accessible to new converts to the Christian faith, it's also very uh, accessible for our children and something that they actually really love to do. These kinds of tactile elements of our faith are so beneficial for our kids, and and they train them to engage in the truths of the gospel. They learn by imitating what we're doing, and and it's 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 actually spiritually beneficial for them. Yeah, I think that what you're saying about this being really helpful for kids is uh, so true. I worked with youth for a number of years, and then I, in school, I did a bit of looking into how to disciple young people in faith, especially kids, and making things concrete was a very high priority because that young, even just like below 20 years old, we're, we're struggling to develop the ability to do abstract thinking. Right. And so we need concrete ways of thinking and acting. And we need, I guess we need ways of acting that are tied to our ways of thinking and that shape our, our ability to think mm-hmm. instead of the other way around. As adults, we teach and help people think so that they can act. But with kids, it's it works the other way around where you get them to act and that helps them, that trains them in their thinking and patterns their thinking. Right. The other thing is that discipling kids in their faith in ways that are just disembodied will lead them or set them up to have a weak faith because then you you hit the ground as an adult and life life is pretty embodied yeah <laughs> and and if you if all you have is abstract truths that you were told they're not going they're going to be insufficient when the rubber meets the road of real life but also it if you don't have something embodied in your practice um, for kids to do it literally disengages them 
from following or from learning because there is no engagement, right? And so to, it's always a battle to try and keep kids and youth engaged and physical participation is the primary way, most helpful way probably to do that, I think anyway. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I think that's great. And the third thing that I, I sort of thought about for, you know, why you might want to make the sign of the cross is because it's instructive. It, it introduces people to a few basic things. So first of all, it introduces people to uh, the sacramental idea that we've been talking about, the idea that, that something physical can be spiritually significant. This is something that is very foreign to our culture, but it, it's such a simple way to be introduced to it. Um, but I, I also mentioned that the way that we hold our hands also communicates some of our core beliefs, right? Our thumb and first two fingers are held together as a representation of the Trinity, and our other two fingers uh, pressed against our palm, signifying the two natures of Jesus, fully God and fully man, as well as that basic gospel message that Christ came down, our fingers are pointed down, Christ came down from heaven to die for our sins. Um, and of course, the most obvious thing that we're displaying is the cross. We're making the cross of Christ visible in the world and over our lives. And so in some ways, this, this very simple prayer, this simple action can instruct us in the truths of the gospel and even communicate those truths to the people around us. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add I don't, that's not really adding because you've kind of already said it, but <laughs> uh, what struck me, I guess, is just how the sign of the cross does teach people about key truths of the gospel and key things that we believe, even in a subtle way. So it, it teaches that Christianity is a body affirming religion. Right because what we do with our bodies matters and we can pray with our bodies and prayer is not an esoteric spiritual out there thing, which I think is actually maybe offensive to our culture. Like the people in our culture who are okay with prayer and spirituality mm -hmm. are into a sort of prayer and spirituality that is about the mind about disengaging from the body, yeah. about leaving your physical self behind and very find, Gnostic. Yeah, very Gnostic, yeah. New Agey, in like just finding your inner self. And Christianity says you won't find yourself until your spiritual self and your physical self are united and and whole together. Right. And so praying with your body is a way to do that. Maybe, I guess, in, in that way, praying with your body also proclaims the truth about the incarnation. Yep. Because that's, that's what our body-affirming beliefs are based on, is that Jesus, God, became man in mm -hmm. Jesus. So just doing the sign of the cross is deep because it, it's got the cross-centered and the incarnation covered and you could just if you, someone sees you do it you could jump off from there and go here's why i do it yeah jesus died on the cross for your sins my sins and by that i'm united with him in the name of the father son and holy spirit and 
then explain the incarnation. There you go. Yeah. It's good. Like you said, it's an evangelistic tool. Yeah, it can be, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've got a couple of quotes from early church fathers about um, crossing yourself. And I didn't realize that this practice was actually so old, but it seems to be about third century at least. At least, yeah, I think. It seems at that point it was already a commonplace thing that was just taken for granted at least. Yeah, we've been, Christians have been pretty enamored with the cross and the sign of the cross in all its forms for a very long time, yeah. Yeah, that's fair, I guess, yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> since the cross happened. Here's our salvation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that makes We're pretty sense. happy about it. So here's a quote by St. Athanasius. He says, By the signing of the holy and life-giving cross, devils and various scourges are driven away. By the movement of the hands, the enemies of God will be driven out of us as the Lord triumphs over the devil and his unconquerable power, rendering him dismal and weak. That's really great. I like that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it certainly reinforces what we were talking about, about like the effectiveness of a sign. Yeah. Yeah. St. Athanasius seems to think it's pretty effective <laughs> over the powers of the enemy. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so here's another quote by uh, an early church father named Hippolytus. And he talks about Hippopotamus. Is that what you just said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Hippolytus. I don't know what his name means, but now I want to find out. <laughs> He talks about the sign of the cross as a, as a weapon of spiritual warfare. So similar to what St. Athanasius said, he says, If you are tempted, seal your foreheads reverently, for this is the sign of the passion displayed and made manifest against the devil, provided that you do it in faith, not to be seen by men, but by presenting with skill like a shield. So the sign of the cross is like a shield when you make it. Because the adversary... When he sees the strength of the heart formed on the exterior, he is made to flee by the spirit which is in you. By sealing the forehead and eyes, I think they, I think I read that they did it a little bit differently way back then, but by sealing the forehead and the eyes, making the sign of the cross, with the hand, you turn aside the one who is made to destroy us. Which I just thought that was interesting that those early church fathers thought of the sign of the cross as a weapon of spiritual warfare. And when I thought about it like that, I mean, for one, it made me want to use it a lot more. Yeah. And, and I thought, why don't I use this when I feel like I'm under attack more often? But then it also, again, I'm connecting it to my, the, the, the practices that I consider to be from my charismatic side, mm -hmm. like laying on of hands right, or, handkerchiefs that have been prayed over, right? Yeah. Um, or, or anointing with oil in prayer services. People have prayed for me and then like blown on me. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that I've experienced as a charismatic. You can't do that in the world anymore, can you? <laughs> no, <laughs> not post-COVID. <laughs> but I guess like if I accept those things as a charismatic and I just go, yeah, of course I'm going to get someone to pray for me and lay hands on me. Why wouldn't I use the sign of the cross like a spiritual weapon as well. Yeah. It just seems like, oh, it just fits right in there with all those things I'm already doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's powerful, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here's one more, our uh, our last quote uh, by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. He's writing in the in the fourth century, and this is uh, 
in part of his catechetical lectures. Uh, so in preparing people for, for baptism, he's, he's teaching them about this. He says, Let us not then be ashamed to confess the crucified. Be the cross our seal, made with boldness by our fingers on our brow, and on everything, over the bread we eat and the cups we drink, in our coming in and going out, before our sleep, when we lie down and when we rise, when we are in the way and when we are still. Great is that preservative, without price for the sake of the poor, without toil for the sick, since also its grace is from God. It is the sign of the faithful and the dread of devils, for he triumphed over them in it, having made a show of them openly. For when they see the cross, they are reminded of the crucified. They are afraid of him who bruised the heads of the dragon. Despise not the seal because of the freeness of the gift, but for this rather honor thy benefactor. I love that quote. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, so I think um, getting into the habit of making the sign of the cross uh, is is a good thing to do. It it seems to be spiritually significant for us um, and and draw us closer to God. It it reminds us of who we are uh, or perhaps who we want to be. You know, it it keeps us focused on the cross. It helps us keep our gaze on the cross. Uh, it helps us see the world through the lens of the cross, even as we make it. We're, we're looking through the cross uh, as we look out. And uh, so, yeah, I just encourage you, if it hasn't been part of your, your practices uh, to this point, uh, give it a try. See what happens. Yeah, I feel like, like I said, I've been doing it for a little while and mostly because I saw other people doing it and it seemed like a fine thing to do. Yeah. But actually, after this conversation, I'm much more excited and feel like, I just have so many more reasons to do it. Yeah. So thanks for this, Amos. Yeah, and thank you. I am shocked that we made it through this episode without bumping our microphones. <laughs> <laughs> From the amount of times that we are crossing ourselves. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Jordan, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm. You can get in touch with us at missionarydistrict at gmail.com.